0: Hi, I'm Josh Van Burkle. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Okay, you ready to go? Give me a wave if you're good to go. All right, Jackie, you're not good to go? You're all right. Uh, give me a wave back in the large churches if you're good to go. So we are talking about the book of... Acts. And you'll remember that last time I talked about, quick recap, I talked about the Holy Spirit, and I see that you can't talk about the book of Acts without talking about the Holy Spirit. He's a big player in the book of Acts. And so we ended up uh, talking a lot about the Trinity, which was fun, I thought. And I made two really kind of big statements about the Holy Spirit. The first statement I made was that the Holy Spirit is God. He's not a part of God He's not one third God. He's not an aspect of God. He's not a function of God. He's not a form of God. He is God. He's as much God as God is God or as Jesus is God because they are all one being. And so the logic tells us that the Holy Spirit must be God. Uh, And so some language around that that I'm finding helpful in my life now is that I start, I'm now calling God, God the Father. I call Jesus, God the Son. And I call the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. And that just is helping, that language is helping reinforce to me the idea that the Holy Spirit is God. Because if I'm honest, I don't know if I necessarily really computed that. And I think a lot of Christians, if you were put on the spot and asked to rank the Trinity, you'd go, God at the top, Jesus in the middle, Holy Spirit on the bottom. And it's not like that, right? It's not vertical, it's horizontal. They are all God. So that was the first thing that I said. The second thing I said was that also the Holy Spirit is a person, which is also really helpful. He's not a mist, he's not this ethereal presence, he doesn't float around. What's tricky is that he can manifest in a lot of different ways, but ultimately, at its core, he's a person. Like Jesus is a person, Holy Spirit is a person. And so when you relate to the Holy Spirit, you have to relate to him as a person. He has attitude, he has personality. He has characteristics. You can sit down and talk with him just as you would sit down and talk with a real-life person. Okay, And so that that also helped me. And then I also gave us two jobs that the Holy Spirit has, his two biggest jobs. The first one is to always point people towards Jesus, to direct people towards Jesus, to promote Jesus. As Christians, we are in a Christ-centered faith. Our faith revolves around Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone, he is the foundation. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. So you never find the Holy Spirit promoting himself above Jesus. You never find the Holy Spirit saying, hey, look at, look at what I can do. Look at this magic trick over here. He's always directing our attention towards Jesus. And the second role of the Holy Spirit is to, and as he directs our focus towards Jesus, it is to make us more like Jesus. And this has actually, I'm going to camp here for just a moment because this has actually been a super big deal for me. I've been a Christian my entire life, and there are times in my Christian life where I have found it easier to connect with God, easier to get excited about God, easier to get passionate about God. And then there have been a lot of times in my life, uh, including since becoming a pastor, where I've found it harder to get excited about God. Has anyone ever found it harder? to get excited about God. You're nodding, but you're too scared to put your hands up because everyone can see you on camera. It's fine. Yeah, put your hands up back at home as well. Have you ever found it harder to get passionate about God? Like reading your Bible, sometimes you're like, reading my Bible, oh, just consume it. And other times you're like, ugh. Is it just me? Some are like, I have to read my Bible today, but if I do it, I'm just doing it out of obligation and God wouldn't want that, right? Sometimes it's hard to fast, or do, like all these spiritual disciplines, they're hard. And I've been asking myself, like, I think it's okay to recognize it, it takes discipline to be a Christian. Like, discipline is where we get the word disciple from. It's the same kind of root word. But it shouldn't be a hard slog day in and day out, week in and wake out, you know, year after year. Like, ugh. That's not a relationship. That's just obligation. That's not fun. And so I had this sort of, as I was reading my Bible and learning about the Holy Spirit and reading about the number of times that Paul says, hey, you need to use the Holy Spirit in this. You've got to get part, partner with the Holy Spirit. You've got to do this with the Holy Spirit. I was like, you know what my problem is? So many times I try and do things out of, to use a Christian term, out of my flesh, right, as opposed to my spirit. And the uh, the Bible talks about the fact that we are flesh, but we're also spirit. The problem with trying to generate enthusiasm out of your flesh or generate passion out of your flesh. It's not that your flesh is necessarily bad, although there are some scriptures that would lead you in that direction, but more to the point, it's that your flesh is dead. You can't generate enthusiasm from a dead person. It's like imagine if you were walking down the road and you saw a guy with a horse on the on the ground and the horse was dead and he's kicking it and he's whipping it and he's yelling at it and he's swearing at it and you go, dude, what are you doing? And he says, I need this horse to get me to where I need to go, to get me to town. And you're like, well, you can, you can kick it as much as you want, mate, but that horse is dead. You know, you can, you can whip it as much as you want, but that thing's dead. It's got flies blowing around its tail. Like it's, but that, that's how we try and live our Christian life a lot of the time. We're whipping our body. We're getting angry at it. We're kind of trying to stir this thing up. It's like your, your body's dead. Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live. And so I have found, just in the last couple of weeks, this incredible release from going, oh, I I don't need to try and generate this artificial enthusiasm out of this dead source. I just go to the Holy Spirit now and be straight up with him. Say, Holy Spirit, I'm walking down my road. I do not feel like praying, but I know that you, can help me feel like praying. You can stir me up. Do you know what? I'm going to be totally honest with you, and I shouldn't do this because we've got guests in the room. It's going to make me look bad. Do you know what I prayed before church this morning? I sat in my car at 20 past nine, and I said, God, I do not want to go to church this morning. I I said this out loud. I said, I want to go home and play PlayStation. (laughs) I said, I want to watch a movie. That's what my body wants to do. That's what my flesh wants to do. But I know that my spirit wants to worship you and my spirit wants to see people set free and my spirit wants to connect with you. So Holy Spirit, can you just come now, this is me sitting in my car, come now and just give me some enthusiasm, give me some passion, like, like connect with my spirit and stir that thing up. And I just sat there for 30 seconds and I was like, yeah, now I'm excited about church, right? Just there's a very little difference but man, it's, it's making a massive difference. So I want to encourage you, don't feel that you've got to force yourself into all this stuff. Just start partnering with the Holy Spirit. Just say, hey, my body's dead. There's no point trying to whip this thing into life. Just use the Spirit. Is that cool? Everybody watching back home? That's cool? All right. Now, we're going to open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we've been working through the book of Acts so slowly. Do you know that cornerstone... Started working through the book of Acts at the same time that we did. And they're up to like chapter ten. And we've just started chapter two. It's so embarrassing. Um, all right, Acts chapter two. I'm gonna read out I'm gonna read out a chunk, and then I hope you guys are hungry because I've got some takeaways. It's a joke. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, they, so I'm gonna give you some takeaways. You guys couldn't hear it because the microphone's not coming through, but there was uproarious laughter just then. It's just it's not the microphone's not picking it up. All right, so let's read through these, and then we're going to circle back at this passage, and we're just going to look at five takeaways about the Holy Spirit. Is that cool? You're right, David? Good. All right. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. I want you to put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that thought. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Put a pin in that. We're going to to come back to that. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Put a pin in that, we'll we'll come back to that. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. The reason that there were so many Jews there was because it was the time of Pentecost, right? It was sort of this whole sort of Passover Pentecost period, which in the Jewish calendar is like the ultimate annual celebration. Do you remember earlier in the Bible, some of you will know, when Jesus was 12, he got taken to Jerusalem by his parents, and then they left him behind, and they didn't notice that he wasn't with them until they were a day on their way back. And then they had to turn around and come back. And then it took them a whole other day. That's what they were doing. They were coming to Jerusalem for this kind of period of time. It was something that all the Jewish people did every year. It was like Jerusalem would just explode in size. It's like we were up in the Coromandel for our holidays. The tour bus driver was saying, oh, these like, you know, because we were there during school term because we homeschool. And he said, oh, there's like a 1,000 people here at the moment. But over the Christmas period, it goes up to like 120,000 people. I was like, far out. He's like, yeah. He said, you can get like, he took us to the car park. You've got to park your car if you want to get to this particular beach. It can hold 380 cars. And he said, in the summer, it's full. We can't fit any more cars in. We were there. There was two cars in the car park, plus ours. I was like doing donuts on the thing. It was so much room. Uh, It was a a rental car. It was okay. Okay. This is what Jerusalem is like in this period. It just explodes with people, right? So there's people everywhere. Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. What was the sound that they heard that drew them to what was happening? It was the sound of their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, They asked, put a pin in that, we'll come back to it. They asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Now, here's the tricky part to read out. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Have you ever heard that statement? Oh, he's such a Cretan. It's like sort of like a derogatory statement. It comes from this word, Cretans, because the people in Crete were kind of like a bit gross. Uh, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. Put a pin in it, we'll come back to it. They asked one another, what does this mean? Double rainbow. I like the way, all the people under 30 got it. I like the way that uh, King James puts it. It goes, it says that they all looked at each other and asked, what meaneth this? This is a King James, it's just fun as heck to read. Like, come on. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they doth have hadeth too much beverage. Right? Just basically said, no, no, these guys are drunk as. So let's circle back to the start, and are you ready for some takeaways? All right? Good? Everybody, this is like a, 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 a preaching technique to make sure that people engage. You get people to do something physical or to repeat. Like, who's ever been in a message, and they'll say, like, they've had too much wine. Everybody say, too much wine. And then you've got to go, too much wine. Right? You're like, so I'm not going to do that because that's corny, but I'll do something cool. Put your hand on your tummy and be like, mmm, takeaways. No. <laughs> Wake, wake, wake up! Everyone at home, do it. Mm-hmm, takeaways. All right, so here we go. Verse one: When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. When you read your Bible, you have to read it with curiosity comes alive if you read it with curiosity. If you ask questions like, why does it say that? Why is this here? Why did they do this? If you just read it like someone's just sitting down to write a story, it's not so exciting. You got to read it with curiosity. So when I read this, I read this the other day, I was like, there's a redundancy in that sentence. That sentence doesn't need to be written like that. They were all together in one place. Why does the Bible say it like that? If they were all together, then obviously they were in the same place if they're all in one place, then obviously they're all together. Why does the Bible make two distinct points about them being together and in one place? It's because that word together, if you look it up in the Greek, doesn't mean, oh, we were just like in proximity to each other. See, as an English person who speaks English, I read that they were all together in one place and my brain says, oh, yeah, they were just hanging out in a room and I move on to the next verse. But that's not what the Bible says. It says they were all together in one place. That word together is a Greek word, homothumadon. Look at you two taking notes down there. It's a good way to keep your hands to yourselves. It's great. (coughs) Newly married couple. Oh my gosh, they distract me in the front row sometimes. All right, homothumadon. right? It is a Greek word and it means with one mind, with one accord, with one passion. So when the Bible says they were all together in one place, it says, yeah, they were all hanging out together. They were physically in proximity to each other. But more importantly, this was a group of people that had one mind, one accord, one purpose, one vision, one passion. They were all on board with this, right? So it was a group of people that were just, they were like, their hearts were beating in sync, if that makes sense. And the Bible says this is important. And so my first takeaway is, I think the Holy Spirit is attracted to unity. This is a group of people that didn't have people in their group that were like, ah, I come to church some Sundays, some Sundays I don't come to church. Ah, I kind of have, I read my Bible sometimes and sometimes I don't. Or yeah, you guys might be into this whole kind of following Jesus thing, but I'm just here for human connection or whatever. It was a group of people that were there for one reason. And they all had the same reason. They had the same vision, the same purpose. They all wanted the same stuff. They had the same level of commitment, the same level of buy-in. They were in this thing. Right, And it's on this group of people that the Holy Spirit went, I'm pouring myself out for the very first time in the history of the world on that group of people. I think the Holy Spirit is attracted to unity. Uh, I think you can apply the reverse if you want and say the Holy Spirit is not overly attracted to disunity. I think this principle applies not just to church, but it applies to your marriage. It applies to your family. It applies to your workplace. Unity attracts the Holy Spirit. Mm, yum yum good takeaway all right let's move on to the next verse suddenly a sound of the blowing like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting again stupid english language interpreting things wrong how many people uh, and to be fair this isn't just a language translation thing this is a church tradition thing how many people would say that they have heard that this happened in an upper room an upper room. I've, I've heard that, right? I, I went to a church uh, many, many years ago and the building that they met in was above a cafe and they called it the upper room because it's like all Holy Spirit-y. I, I would have said up until this week, if you'd said to me, what, what was the environment in which the Holy Spirit came? I would have said, oh, it was upstairs in somebody's house somewhere. It was an upper room. But I don't know if that's actually Accurate because I did a bunch of reading this week. Well, one thing, and the guy said that it probably wasn't an upper room. He said they were probably just down at the temple. And there's a whole bunch of evidence in this text to make you go, actually, that's probably a lot more likely. First of all, it is where the Jewish people should have been on the day of Pentecost, they should have been down at the temple. So that's tick one for temple, not in somebody's house. That's where they should have been. Makes far more sense that they would be down there. Tick number two, we know from Acts chapter one, the Bible says there was about 120 believers. I don't know if you've ever tried to fit 120 people into an upstairs room. That's very hard to do. Much more likely that those 120 people were down at the temple. Third, the Bible says that when everybody else heard them speaking in other languages, they came running. That again suggests that they were probably in a very public place, not hidden away up in an upstairs room down the road somewhere where no one could hear that happening. Fourth, the word that we translate house is most often translated house in the Bible, but it's also translated home or household or in the case of, uh, did I make a note of it or not? No, I didn't. I think it's in Luke chapter 11, verse 9, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, hey, you're all going to be judged for how you handled the prophets. From Elijah, who prophesied, blah, 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 all the way to, I think he said Zechariah, who prophesied in the courts of the temple. And that word temple that Jesus uses is the exact same word that we translate house there. So actually, I think when you put all of these things together, there's a far more credible case for this happening down at the temple. That's where they should have been. It's where you'd fit 120 people. It was a public place because everybody heard them talking. And it's a word that is often translated temple. And I've heard people say, oh, but they were in the upper room because they were hiding. They were hiding from the people that killed Jesus like, well, I would have bought that if this had happened two or three days after he was executed, but this is a full 50 days later. He's come back from the dead. He spent 40 days walking around town with them. Over 500 people, the Bible says, saw Jesus back from the dead. These 120 believers are not cowering in fear that maybe they got things wrong. They are completely adamant that they are in the right, that Jesus came back from the dead. They've just seen him go up to heaven for goodness sake. They're not hiding in an upper room somewhere. So I can't prove this, I think I did a pretty good job, but I can't prove it. But I would say, point number two, I reckon the Holy Spirit first showed up at church. And I just wanna make a little wee plug this morning for church, for coming to church. I've talked with a few different people. Some of them might be watching right now this week. And so I'm not speaking out of turn. but I believe in church. I believe in bringing people together Uh, And the way that we do it in 2022 is we do it once a week on a Sunday morning. just seems to work best for everybody's work calendars. It's a couple of hours. We get a chance to do connection, to worship God together. And when you look throughout history at the big explosions of the Holy Spirit, it almost always happens with a group of people that have come together. might not necessarily be a quote-unquote church service, but there is a coming together of people. Whether it's the Welsh revival, whether it's the Azusa Street revival, whether it's you know the revivals that are happening overseas, they're happening in a corporate context. I think the Holy Spirit is attracted to when a group of people come together with one heart, one mind, one passion, and He's like, "I want to be a part of that." So I just want to give a plug for church. I know that uh, there are times when people say, "Ah, oh, you know what? I, I'm gonna." It's not God's everywhere, and I would agree with that. I'd say, "Yes, God is everywhere." but it seems to me the Holy Spirit likes to really focus his attention on church a lot of the time. So, Holy Spirit first showed up at church. Mmm, yum, yum takeaway. Sorry, it almost got into a bit of an accent there. That was inappropriate. All right, three. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. I made this point on Monday night at our worship night. The Bible doesn't say that they saw the Holy Spirit come down and rest on Peter, who was leading the church. Doesn't say they saw the Holy Spirit come down, break into 12 different tongues and land on each of the apostles, the 11 apostles apostles, plus Matthias, who um, had been anointed one of the 12 earlier. Doesn't say that, it doesn't say that they saw in a culture where men were elevated. Uh, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that was the culture. Men were elevated above women and children. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit came down and landed on all the men in the room. It doesn't even say the Holy Spirit came down and landed on all of the adults. It says the Holy Spirit came down and rested on each of them and all all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Takeaway number three is that the Holy Spirit is for everyone. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if you're here and I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about how to try and engage the Holy Spirit in your life. And you're like, man, I don't know if if that's for me. It is. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. And I'll give you an opportunity at the end to have a think about what that might look like in your life. Okay, we've got two more takeaways to go. Here we go. They were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation. Read it through before. We get down to this point. It says, utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? So, what is the response of people when the Holy Spirit shows up for the first time? Utterly amazed. Um, I love the way the King James puts it. It says that they were confounded. Uh, the Amplified Version says that they were bewildered. The original Greek word, uh, it, it means literally that you were outside of your mind. It's where we get the saying, have you ever said or heard someone say, ah, oh, the movie was, I was so excited, I was just, I was beside myself. Have you ever heard that saying? I was beside myself. What, what does that mean? I was beside myself. That means that you came out of your body and you were standing beside yourself, that's just how excited you were. You had an out-of-body experience. It's a weird thing that we say, I was beside myself. But that is exactly the word that is being used here. In fact, one of the definitions of the Greek word is literally insane. This was driving people crazy. In fact, if we skip through all those places where they came from down there, amazed and perplexed. So the Holy Spirit comes, He pours Himself out on people, They respond in this really unique way. And everybody that is around them is completely unable to comprehend or process or, you know, wrap their head around what is going on. And I had to try and think real hard about, well, what is the takeaway here? And in the end, I just came up with this. The Holy Spirit hurts your brain. Right? It's just, he does. The problem is that we are intellectual people And we see something happen. We see someone experience the Holy Spirit and maybe they shake a little bit or maybe they fall over or maybe they laugh or maybe they cry. And our brain goes, I need to try and work out what's happening here. And I think we can see from scripture, man, don't even bother. Don't don't even bother. It is meant to completely fry your circuits because it's God showing up in a person And I've said many times, man, if I'm going to serve a God that's the creator of the universe and an all-powerful being, I want to serve a God that is so far beyond my understanding, not a God that I can wrap my head around. I'm not interested in serving a God who shows up and I go, yep, makes sense, probably what I would have done. That's a scary thought, right? So these people are um, having all of these kind of responses. And I just want to pause here for a moment, too, and just make a note of that last line, some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. And I, I wonder, hey, like, there's no names mentioned here. There's no identities given away. But there were actual people that were witnessing the birth of the church, that were witnessing the Holy Spirit being poured out on a group of people, and they just laughed and wrote it off. And I reckon that's a scary place to be. And I know it's really hard sometimes because we're all a little bit cautious about excesses and people getting carried away and uh, and, and stuff. But I've there's this part in the Bible where uh, there's a very wise Pharisee called Gamaliel, and the Pharisees are freaking out about Jesus and more importantly about the disciples. Jesus has now gone up to heaven. The disciples are walking around. They're doing all this crazy stuff. They're healing people. They're breaking out of prison because angels are busting them out. We'll get to all these cool stories soon. And, and the Pharisee's are like, what do we do with these people? How do we suppress this? How do we oppress this? And Gamaliel, this wise Pharisee, he says, guys, don't even worry about it because if God's on it, flip, there's nothing you can do to stop it. And if God's not on it, eventually the truth will out. It'll die a natural death. People will lose interest. They'll move on to something else. We don't have to worry about it. And I think sometimes we fall into that same trap as the Pharisees did, where we see people experiencing the Holy Spirit. And we're like, oh, is that God or is that not God? Mm, I don't know if I want to support that if it's not God, but then I don't want to not support it if it is God. I just think sometimes we just need to chill out, like calm the farm. But like, if it's God then what God wants to happen will happen. And if it's not, then it'll just kind of fizzle out. Don't stress. I think you want to avoid, we want to avoid as much as possible putting ourselves in a position like these guys did where we make fun of people and we laugh at them. That's just, that's just not cool. All right, Holy Spirit hurts your brain. And I can't remember what my fifth point is because I wrote it last night while I was multitasking. Somehow, oh, I think I did my fifth point already. I'm just too far ahead. What was it? Oh, there you go. Manifestations of the Holy Spirit are sometimes ridiculed. Um, and so just to circle back and repeat myself, don't do that. There you go. All right, makes sense? So five takeaways, which you can kind of see on the side, but I actually need to make my PowerPoint a little bit smaller because it actually goes past the screen. Five takeaways. Number one, the Holy Spirit is attracted to unity. Number two, the Holy Spirit first showed up at church, I think. I wouldn't categorically say it's true because I wasn't there, but I reckon. Uh, Number three, the Holy Spirit is for everyone. There is no one alive that the Holy Spirit is not interested in joining up with. Number four, the Holy Spirit hurts your brain. That's all right. It's okay to have a hurting brain. I'd rather have a hurting brain than not. And number five, manifestations of the Holy Spirit are sometimes ridiculed. And so what we're going to do now... Is we're going to break into some groups. If you're a guest with us this morning or if you're a guest at someone's lounge church, what we like to do very often here is break into groups of like three or four people and just talk a little bit for 10 minutes about the message because it helps bed in what we've talked about. And it also gives other people a chance to hear different perspectives and thoughts rather than just one person's, as amazing as that perspective might be. So Michael will put some music on. Everybody watching at home, Thank you so much for watching all of our lounge churches. Thank you for watching. You can break into your groups. And we've got three questions that I want you to work through in your groups. Number one, out of these five, and I've left them up on the screen. In fact, Michael, we might leave it up on the screen for people watching at home. They can just turn me down. Uh, out of those five things, which one resonates with you the most? Which one made you go, Ah, oh, I like that point. Oh, I hadn't thought about that point the most. Uh, and then the second one is why. So if, for example, it was... Uh, the Holy Spirit is attracted to unity, like one husband may have poked his wife at that point. Um, why did that one resonate with you? What's going on in your world that made that one kind of leap out to you? And then the last one is, what is one thing I can do this week to build my relationship with the Holy Spirit? Secondly, back to point three, the Holy Spirit is for everyone, that includes you. What is one thing you can do this week to build your relationship with the Holy Spirit. What I am doing at the moment, I'd be lying if I said I do it every day because sometimes I forget. But most days I am now praying, Holy Spirit, help me to get more excited about God. I'm, t- I'm tired of trying to manufacture this enthusiasm out of this dead body myself. You manufacture it for me. It's this weird thing where you would not get away with doing it in a real relationship with a flesh and blood person. If I said to Josh, I'm not really excited about hanging out with you, I'm not overly enthusiastic about getting to know you, but if you could do something to make me excited about hanging out with you, then you know, maybe I would. Like, you couldn't get away with that in real life. But God's so awesome that he's actually wired it that way. That's why Jesus said you need the Spirit to do all this kind of stuff. So God has made a way for us to have a relationship with him and is even prepared to help us develop the, you know, the spiritual disciplines that we need and the, um, the feelings and the vibes even to get to know him because he's that awesome. All right? So we'll leave those things on the screen. I say a big goodbye to everybody that is watching online. In fact, let me me pray at the end, then we'll break into groups. Is that cool? All right, Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Got to thank you like that old song says that this is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming into this world. Thank you for partnering with us. Thank you for making a way for us to just lean on you and to just achieve so much of what you have for us. And Lord, we acknowledge this morning that without you, Holy Spirit, we can't even begin to do what God has called us to do. We can't even begin to be who God has called us to be because one of your main jobs, Holy Spirit, is to help us do those things and to help us become those people. So Father, we honor you this morning. I pray a special blessing on everybody watching. I wanna pray a special blessing for Pat as well, who last time I checked, Pat was in hospital, not feeling that great. So Pat, I don't know if you're still in hospital or if you've been released in the last 24 hours, but I just pray for your healing. I just declare healing over your body, Pat. I declare healing over uh, your arthritis and every condition that is causing you grief. We just release healing in the name of Jesus. In fact, anybody else that is watching online, Uh, at home by yourselves. Those that have got COVID, we just speak to the homes that have COVID and we declare it to go in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your healing, Father. We thank you that you are above everything. In Jesus' name, amen.